Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. If, if it would sell the paper, it would be printed. Um, I, I think there was a little more uh, ask forgiveness, not permission, <laughs> in terms of the truth in some cases. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Jonathan Bayer discussing how social media technologies like YouTube can help us understand historical events in a better light. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by the Revolutionary War Visitor Center, Camden, South Carolina. Discover how South Carolina's quest for independence turned the tide of the American Revolution. Opening summer 2021. For more information, visit simplyrevolutionary.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today, our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Jonathan Bayer. And he's discussing a new article and YouTube video about fake news and its influence on Benedict Arnold's invasion of Canada. One thing about us historians is that, you know, we do things old school and we often think it's the only way. But one of the real sort of hard realities of spreading the word of history in the 21st century is that You have to use whatever tools are available to you. That includes podcasts, like yours truly, and YouTube videos. Jonathan Bayer is pursuing a traditional degree in history, but he's not shying away from that new technology, and I commend him for it. In fact, we should all think very long and hard about following in the same pursuit as him. When you boil down what historians do, We read, we write, we research, we publish, we share our information with the world so we can all collectively benefit. YouTube, as it turns out, is a fabulous way of doing that. I thought YouTube was, for a long time, uh, just for, you know, learning how to cook spaghetti and watching cat videos. But as it turns out, as historians like Jonathan Bayer show us, uh, there's actually some real practical usage too. I actually used it to fix my refrigerator this week, so go figure. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Jonathan Bayer. Jonathan Bayer, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your background. Uh, I was uh, born and raised in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Uh, It's about an hour outside of Toronto. Uh, I am currently in my fourth year of the doctoral program in history at the University of Western Ontario. Uh, in London, Ontario. Uh, I did my undergrad at Walla Walla University in Walla Walla, Washington, uh, and I did my master's at the University of Windsor in uh, Windsor, Ontario. What first drew your interest into this topic? Um, uh, well, as part of my dissertation, uh, I'm looking at the ways that the American press uh, portrayed Canadians, uh, kind of between the French and Indian War and the War of 1812. <clears throat> uh, and as part of that research, 
uh, I'm constructing a data set of every mention of Canadian, Canadians, uh, people of Canada, stuff like that, uh, that I can find in the press. And I'm tagging that with uh, kind of positive and negative portrayals, things like that, so that I can trace positive and negative uh, portrayals kind of through time and across space. Uh, and as part of that research, uh, this, ad, this uh, fake news kind of article popped up, and I thought it was pretty neat. I thought it was cool. Uh, but it's not really going to find a place in my dissertation. So I wanted to do something with it. Uh, and this seemed like a pretty good thing. Talk about your decision to present this information as a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, kind of like this article. Uh, a number of other articles kept popping up uh, through this research that I thought was cool that like really had something fun with them, uh, kind of quirky articles, but nothing that was going to really find a place in my thesis. Uh, so I really wanted to do something with that. Uh, and as I was preparing uh, lectures and recording lectures for uh, asynchronous viewing, uh, what with the pandemic and whatnot, um, I found it was actually, I realized it was actually quite easy um, to do a lot of the kind of uh, Ken Burns style documentary stuff, like moving the pictures, voiceovers, kind of images over, laid over top of each other. Um, so I thought that was pretty neat. And I figured uh, YouTube videos are a good way to kind of get that uh, out there, get it out to a wider audience. Uh, the media is reading kind of more academic uh, works, especially on something so small as these articles. We, of course, have heard about this ad nauseum for the last few years, but how prevalent was fake news during the revolutionary era? Uh, That's a really good question. Uh, I'd say it's a little bit hard to say. Um, The the American press at the time was definitely vulnerable uh, to fake news, the way that it was kind of structured. Most of the news was coming from uh, reprinted letters, letters that I guess the printer would get from somebody in town who'd gotten that letter from elsewhere, or um, news that was reprinted from other papers, either American papers or European papers. Uh, so it was actually quite uh, quite vulnerable to fake news. There are some examples of fake news as well. Uh, Benjamin Franklin in the 1780s, I think 1782, um, published a couple of fake news articles. Uh, James Rivington the Loyalist uh, printer in New York also was kind of famous for printing fake news. Uh, so these were around, uh, but from what I've seen, it also, it kind of seems to me like the press was fairly good at not letting fake news propagate too much, uh, sort of self-censoring itself. Uh, and if, if a fake news story was circulating, kind of not reprinting it anymore. Uh, that definitely happened with this article. Um, but that said, it is definitely possible that a lot more fake news did circulate than we're aware of. Uh, the, the articles of fake news that we do know are kind of big events, sort of famous events. So smaller events could easily be uh, fake news. It's hard to say. For those that aren't familiar, could you give us some background on Arnold's invasion of Canada? Sure, sure. Um, bit of a long story, but to, to boil it down a bit, uh, when the war broke out, when the Revolutionary War broke out, um, Arnold went and he got a commission, I think, from Massachusetts uh, as a colonel. And he joined uh, Ethan Allen uh, attacking kind of forts along the New York frontier. They famously took uh, Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, And following that, uh, both Arnold and Allen uh, proposed an invasion of Canada to the Congress, uh, claiming that Canada was weak, would be easy to take. Uh, And the Congress went along with this idea. They, uh, like, okayed the invasion of Canada. Uh, But in Arnold's mind, they passed him over as commander for that invasion. Uh, So what he did was he went to... uh, Washington, who was in Cambridge, I believe, at the time, uh, and asked him for uh, additional men so that he could lead a second expedition up through uh, Maine. Uh, The original expedition was kind of going up the St. Lawrence. He was going to go up through Maine and join them. uh, 
and uh, Washington gave him and uh, provisions and whatnot and sent him off on this expedition. Uh, he left, I believe, in September, uh, arrived kind of in Quebec in November. Uh, but it was a brutal trek. It was kind of um, what British Americans would call kind of a, a uncivilized sort of woods um, a brutal trek, and he lost about 500 of his men. About half went home, about half died. Uh, and he lost a lot of his provisions and supplies kind of in the swamps and whatnot. Uh, and when they finally arrived, they were kind of unprepared for a siege. Uh, but Arnold wrote a bunch of letters uh, back, some of which were printed in the press, which claimed uh, the Canadians were shocked that they managed to come through this wilderness. Uh, that it was kind of an impossible task they'd managed to do. Uh, and that they were totally in support of the, the American cause there. Uh, they supported kind of American independence. Um, but again, Arnold wasn't really strong enough to take Quebec at this time. So he waited until he could meet up with the forces of Richard Montgomery, General Richard Montgomery, who was coming up the uh, St. Lawrence. He had just taken Montreal. Uh, so he met up with Arnold uh, before Quebec, uh, and they besieged it, attacking uh, on the morning of New Year's Eve, uh, 1775. Uh, but the attack was repelled. Uh, Montgomery was killed. Uh, Arnold was shot in the leg uh, and had to retreat. Uh, and the attack was stopped. Arnold maintained the siege for the next couple months after that, but it was fairly ineffectual. Uh, there was very little chance of taking Quebec after that. This story begins with a false letter. Uh, where did this false letter discussing Arnold's victory originate? And what did it say? Uh, the letter was allegedly from Paris. It claimed to have been sent from Paris. Uh, and what it claimed was that Arnold had decisively captured Quebec, that Quebec had surrendered to Arnold, uh, that Carleton, the governor general of Canada, had fled. Um, it claimed that he had sent an express to the British court uh, immediately following this attack, but that that ship had hit a storm, um, had sprung a leak uh, along the French coast, and had to put in at Nantes. And because of this, the French court had got uh, word of this surrender before the British court. Uh, and this letter was supposedly sent from Paris after this news had kind of arrived there, uh, informing Americans that Quebec had fallen. <laughs> How does a story like this enter into circulation in the American media? Uh, it's uh, various ways. Um, printers were looking for letters. They kind of needed to fill out uh, their newspapers, I think, a lot of the time. So they were looking for news from anywhere. Um, so if you had a letter from somewhere, you could take it to the printer. Um, usually you wouldn't print the names of the people who were involved. You'd just say a letter from here, a letter from there. Uh, but I think printers were looking for things like this. Uh, so I think that's why maybe this fake account, uh, the person who wrote this fake account felt that there might be uh, a way to kind of propagate this account because uh, printers were looking for this kind of thing. Had this ever happened before previously? Um, there... There were no journalistic standards. I haven't seen anything uh, particularly like this, but there were there were no real journalistic standards. Um, so I think a lot of the times, if if it would sell the paper, it would be printed. Um, I I think there was a little more uh, ask forgiveness, not permission, <laughs> in terms of the truth. In some cases, uh, that being said, there is a fairly the, the press presented a fairly good um, view of reality, uh, of actual news. I think because it sort of self-censored a little bit the, the fake and really big stories. The story was incredibly sensational and seemed hard to believe. Uh, I think printers might have checked that before they reprinted it. And I think that's probably what happened with this ad. Uh, before any other printers reprinted it, they kind of checked with people who maybe 
were a little bit more informed, had had ties with Canada and found out that it wasn't real and so didn't reprint it. What did ultimately happen to Arnold in Canada? <laughs> uh, well, the, the same month that this uh, newspaper article was printed that said that he had actually taken Quebec, uh, he was replaced uh, in command in front of Quebec there by uh, Daniel Wooster, I believe, uh, Major General Daniel Wooster. Um, and Arnold left the siege of Quebec. He moved down to uh, Montreal, where he was the military commander of Montreal. Uh, he evacuated Montreal as the British troops in the area kind of started to swell. Uh, he was also involved in the uh, evacuation of Fort St. Jean, which uh, is credited in, in a lot of cases with kind of delaying the British uh, taking of Ticonderoga a year. Um, but all in all, uh, Arnold left Canada with a promotion. He was now a brigadier general. Um, as opposed to a colonel. So he left with a promotion, but he also left uh, with the first of many leg wounds. He got injured in the leg several times. It eventually ended his military career. Uh, and he also left Canada with kind of a festering resentment of having been passed over for things like the lead of Canada or the lead of the uh, invasion of Canada, which famously led to uh, treason, uh, depending on your perspective. How does this story help us to understand the revolutionary era better? Oh, that's a great question. Um, one thing I would say is, is if this is, in fact, fake news, is, is an attempt to kind of change public opinion with a false narrative, uh, I think that kind of is evidence of the tenuousness of American morale and, and the tenuousness of kind of American victory at this time. The idea is that everything needed to be done to build up American morale, to keep uh, Americans fighting for the revolution. Uh, another thing sort of A would be the, the vulnerability of the press, the potential vulnerability of the press to fake news stories like this, um, to fake news kind of propagating, uh, but also B, the way that the press sort of self-censored itself, the way that the press didn't often allow extremely uh, false narratives like this get too far, uh, be reprinted too many times. Jonathan Bayer, thanks again. Thanks a lot. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.